Welcome back to Something Ominous. This is your host, Jessica. And I'm Karina. We're excited because we're on episode seven. We took a break last week since we put out two episodes back to back. The editing was so hard. Yeah, I know. I feel bad for you. <laughs> I did some of it, but Jessica honestly was the one that did most of it. So I feel like we needed a little break after that. But we are back. We hope you liked Historias del Rancho. I know our moms were super excited. Yeah, they were. Um, and the tias too. Like everyone was just really mm -hmm. excited about the episode. They were very supportive. Very supportive. Mm -hmm. All right. You want to get started, Karina? Yeah, I can start. Today, I'm going to be talking about your most highly requested case. And by yours, I mean yours, Jessica. We're going to be wait, exploring wait. the legend of La Llorona. Oh, my God. <laughs> I knew that's what your reaction was going to be. I'm so glad you did it because, honestly, I was going to do that today. Dude. I was imagine? like, man, I, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I was like, do I want to do something scary? I was about to switch my case and do La Llorona. I was like, I'm going to do La Llorona. There's a lot of stuff about her. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm so oh glad gosh, I didn't. So Imagine if you're like, <laughs> me too. We probably would have just like mashed Merged it together. It, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of information on this. It took me a couple of days to um, finish all the research. And yeah, I remember you telling me from day one that you wanted me to do this case, but I was always a bit intimidated just because there's so much information and it kind of scares me, honestly, but... We're going to go through it. Okay, so I think we all know or have heard of La Llorona, especially if you're of Latin descent. In English, she's known as a weeping woman, but it's a folklore that haunts Latin American countries, mainly in Mexico. Legends similar to La Llorona have existed ever since Mesoamerican classic period, where a legend named Ishtabai lived and is often compared to the story of La Llorona. The story goes that there were two sisters, Ishkaban and Utzcolel. Ishkaban was known as being promiscuous, so she was often judged and talked about in her village. But she had a pure heart and was very humble and compassionate. Her sister, Utzkolel, on the other hand, was known as upright and followed social standards, but she was cold and had an evil heart and had always been envious of her sister. When Ishkaban died, a beautiful flower grew from her grave. But later, when Utzkolel died, which was the evil sister, a foul-smelling prickly cactus grew. Even after her death, the spirit of Utzkolel returned full of the envy she had for her sister and takes it out on men at night that cross the forest. Specifically, is known to haunt under the Saiba trees, and she is now known as Ishtabai. Even though this legend could inspire what is now known as La Llorona, La Llorona's story is more of modern history. I've never heard of this history of the... Mm -hmm. Ishtabai. Yeah, this is the very first time I ever hear about it. So did she go after men because her sister was promiscuous mm -hmm. and they paid attention to her mm -hmm. and not... Yeah, and she was very envious of like her beauty. Mm. And even though she was judged by the village, like she was still envious of her. In a lot of articles when I was looking up, they tied it a lot to like Mayan and Aztec. You know how they had a lot of gods and mm -hmm. legends and stuff. So a lot of articles tied La Llorona to Mayan legends. Honestly, a lot of the legends that are out there do come from Aztec and Mayan culture. Mm -hmm. They just switch up the, yeah, the version. It just evolves it. as time goes by. The story that we all know is that of a woman that drowned her kids and her soul now looks for them in the afterlife around rivers and small towns, crying out, hijos. I know, I was shy you with that gave part. me the creepy look. The creepy look? look. 
Ay, mis hijos. Anyway, she cries out, ay, mis hijos. There were different versions of this story, but one that I often read is that she was an indigenous woman known as Malinche who fell in love with a Spaniard in times when Mexico had just been discovered. She was madly in love with him and they had three children. She repeatedly asked him for them to get married, but because he thought of himself in higher standard, he always avoided the subject. I roll. One day, the man returned from one of his trips and told her he had married another woman, one of upper class and wealthy, and that he would be leaving her and their children. Malinche was distraught, and in a moment of anger and desperation, she drowned her three children in a river, and then, enter suicide warning, she unalived herself in the river as well. Now, her soul weeps for her children, and her lament has no end. Mm-hmm. Which is a story that we all have heard, her drowning yeah. her children, and now she mourns them. So if you guys know, there is a movie inspired by her named The Curse of La Llorona. To be honest, I didn't watch it. Have you watched it? No, but I heard it's like stupid cheesy because it's in California and it should have been made in Mexico. Exactly. It's in LA. Yeah. And it's like, what? I didn't think it would be good since it's like Hollywood's take on it. And Mm -hmm. also it's tied to the whole conjuring world. Yeah. I was reading on it and it says like Annabelle makes an appearance. Like they try to tie it to like Insidious and Conjuring. For like what? I have no idea. Nothing to do with it. I don't know, but that's why I haven't watched it. I read the synopsis and it did have a similar background on La Llorona, but the movie was pretty much about a mother trying to save her children from being taken by La Llorona. And I'm not going to say more because I don't want to spoil the movie in case anyone really wants to watch it. But yeah, I did hear it's not good. Yeah, I read or heard somewhere. I don't know if it was like a podcast that I listened to or something uh-huh. where they were saying that it was like rated super bad by Rotten Tomatoes. And I remember that whenever we heard of it, we said like, oh my God, there's a movie about La Llorona. Mm-hmm. But then you watch the trailer and everybody's like speaking English and it's in LA. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's not what I thought. Yeah. And of course, you know, I had to look into personal encounters. The first is from a show I had mentioned before named La Mano Peluda. I'll link the YouTube video on the show notes in case you want to listen to it in Spanish. Love La Mano Peluda. I do too. And honestly, there were so many YouTube videos. Because now, I mean, La Mano Peluda doesn't exist anymore. It's just like YouTube videos from it. Mm-hmm. So there were so many. And this is the one that we're going to go with. But honestly, like y'all should, y'all should look them up because they are scary. And it goes, this all happened a long time ago when I was a child, like eight or nine years old, when we moved from Mexico City to a small town in the state of Mexico. That day was a special day because my cousin was graduating from middle school and they asked my dad to be a padrino. My dad used to drink a lot and in this occasion, he drank all day until it was time to leave. Since he was so drunk, my mom told my grandmother to take me and my siblings home and my mom would later take my dad home. So we went on our way. My grandmother carried my little brother and held me and my little sister's hand. On our way home, we came upon a park that we had to walk through. I remember I was really cold and it was dark since there was no street lights. I kept trying to make conversation with my grandmother because I was starting to get scared. I felt safe with her since she was really brave. Then, our surroundings started to feel different. It was something I had never felt before. We walked until we got to a water fountain and all of a sudden, all the night sounds went quiet and I felt a chill I can't even describe. Something made us look to the right where there was a small bridge. Then we see something coming towards us and we froze. There was a woman walking towards us, except she wasn't walking. She was floating. Oh, fuck no. (laughs) She wore a long white gown and she had long hair that covered her face. And she was calling us with her hand. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. This wasn't a person. My grandmother said, Corra niños, kids run. And we ran. I felt like my grandmother was right behind me. But when I turned, my grandmother wasn't there. She had gone back to grab my sister. The apparition was getting closer and we kept running and didn't look back. 
While we were running, we started to hear the dogs howling, and then we heard her cry. We felt cold all through our bones. We got home and knew that what we experienced wasn't of this world. When my parents got there and we told them what happened, my dad got mad and said no one is going to frighten my children. My mom and dad both went to the park where we saw her, and all they found was a white sheet on the floor. At that moment, they knew who we had seen. La Llorona. Oh my god. I know. And I did look up what the white sheet was about. And some people report saying that she wears a white sheet around her. So I think that's why they were sure it was La Llorona that followed them. I mean, I'm telling it and it's scary. But if you hear the actual call, because you remember La Mano Peluda has like that background music. Yeah. And then it like has sounds effect of like the dogs howling and her cry. Ugh. I was listening to it and I had like, I had to get up and like turn all the lights and like play some other music in the background. Did you do this at night? Yeah. So next, I will be telling the personal story of our cousin and his experience in Mexico City. What cousin? Kike. <gasps> Stop. Yeah. You had an experience? Mm-hmm. No way. I had oh. no idea. Yeah, I know. So a quick backstory. My cousin, well, our cousin lived in Mexico City, specifically in a neighborhood called Nesa Walcoyot? Yeah, Nesa Nesa. Nesa, yeah. When I text him, he called me right away and said he has actually heard her on several occasions. Dude! Yeah, like I literally texted him and he called me right away. He was like, no, see, like, yo, yo le escuchado. And I was like, what? Like, because I had just told him, like, if you, if you know someone or anything. And I wish I could read his story in Spanish because it just feels different, but I'm going to try my best to translate. So he says around this time, it was like 2011, 2012, when he still lived with his parents, there had already been talk of neighbors hearing La Llorona. He says he was a skeptic, so didn't really believe it or think much of it. But on one occasion, he was sleeping in his room. And if you remember, his room was like on the balcony facing the street. So he could hear all the sounds of the street. He says he was sleeping and all of a sudden something made him wake up. But he was in that state where he's like half asleep, half awake, and he hears a cry from far away. He didn't react since he was still kind of sleeping. But then he heard the cry of a woman, like clearly. So like I said, he didn't think much of it. He went back to sleep. And then a few days later, he and his sister got home late from work and had to park their truck on the street in front of their house. They were taking all the music instruments out of the truck and all the important things they could possibly steal since the truck would be staying outside overnight when they hear her, her loud cry. They heard it so close, he thought she was standing on top of the bed of the truck. Shut Yeah. Up. So they're like inside, like where the seats are, taking out all the things, and they hear her cry, and he said like it literally sounded like she was on top of the truck. Was this Rocio with him? Yeah, Rocio oh and him. Oh my God. To be exact, he said, se escuchó un pinche lamento como arriba de la camioneta. <laughs> I had to include that because that's what he said. <laughs> when I asked how he would describe the sound, he said it's a combination of a woman's cry, like if she's in despair, and the howling of a dog. Shut Oh, that sounds so creepy. Mm -hmm. You know, their houses are kind of creepy out, especially yeah. the top floor. Uh -huh. That one room, that one room that was all the way in the corner, closer to the street. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that, we used to stay there every now and then, but it was like mm -hmm. no walls. It was The walls were glass. It was just nothing but glass. I was always really scared of the restroom. Like whenever I was showering, like mm -hmm. I remember I didn't even want to close my eyes when I would shampoo my hair. Oh my God. Is yeah. there water around? Because I, I know I've heard that La Llorona yeah. only comes around or out if there's like water around. Mm -hmm. That's what he said too, but um, I'm honestly not quite sure if there's, I don't remember. if there's like a little river or anything around there. I don't remember seeing one. So he and his sister heard the cry at the same time and ran inside. Another time, he said he was out eating with his coworkers in a restaurant around the same area where he lived when they all heard her cry at the same time. 
Oh no. But this time it sounded far. So I read into what hearing her cry means, and this was mentioned on La Mano Peluda, that you could get cursed from hearing her. It said that if you hear her cry three times, like on three separate occasions, she can take your soul. If you hear her cry twice, the best thing to do is say a special prayer for protection in hopes that she would not come for you a third time. So to conclude, one important thing my cousin told me is that legend says that when you hear her cry close by, that means she's actually far away. But when her cry sounds the farthest is when she might be closer than you can imagine. I never heard of that from La Llorona. Yeah, I read several articles and a few of them said the same thing. Like, be careful if you hear her. Like, if you hear her closest, of course, you're going to be the most scared. But it's like, beware if her cry is far away. Oh, I'd imagine that bitch standing behind you. Ooh, no. Imagine like when he was in his room and heard it from far away. Like, that's probably when she was like right there. Probably like right outside his room or something. So did you do this investigation at night? Were you doing your research at night or in the morning? Kind of. Like I did some in the daytime and then some of it at night. Like I was putting it together at night. But dude, I'm just like scared. I know you are. I think that's why I'm like, no lo va a ser. I'll just have to do it one Mm -hmm. day. No, I had to do it. Because I was like, I want to come back with like a good case. Mexico is just Mexico, man. I'm going to go ahead and start on my case. Okay. So my case is also in Mexico. And I know we need to get out of Mexico. Well, I mean, La Llorona is everywhere, but Mm -hmm. my case is from Mexico. But I do want to start off by saying I do touch a little bit on domestic violence and child abuse, but it's more the a parenting way so you know how a lot of people in mexico especially like in our parents time the way they used to parent them is hit them with mm-hmm. the mecate everybody knows la chancla yeah so i'm gonna touch a little bit on it on july 19th 1971 in the neighborhood of justo sierra in the city of mexico a woman finds a sack outside her home thinking they were dead chickens from a farm nearby that didn't get picked up by the trash She grabs the bag and takes it to the empty lot nearby where you throw random trash. You know these lots. These like empty as lots that have a bunch of trash. It was one of those by their house. When she gets to the area, which wasn't far, they explain it was about two houses down. She feels that the sack was heavier than expected. Out of curiosity, she opens up the sack and sees an arm and a leg. (laughs) She runs back home and immediately calls police. Now, when the police arrive, they start investigating They opened up the sack and they noticed that it was a dismembered body of a male missing its head. The investigation starts. They match his fingerprints, find out that the body is of Pablo Diaz Ramirez of 53 years old. Pablo had a criminal record and also applied to work for the police department, which both require fingerprints. They realized that he went by three other aliases. So Pablo Diaz Rincón, Pablo Diaz Gallegos, Rafael Diaz Ramirez. They find an address for him. They go to this neighborhood called Portales in Mexico City, where he once lived. They learn from neighbors that Pedro and his wife of three years moved about six months ago. It seems like they didn't move far. The neighbors tell detectives that it's a street right down the road. And they arrive to Pirineos, which is the street name. A woman opens the door. Her name was Maria Trinidad Ramirez Poblano of 45 years old. So let's talk a little bit about Maria. Maria was previously married and had five kids in her marriage. Pedro of 17, Isabel of 15, Mario of 11, Reina of 10, and Guillermo of 6. She divorced her first husband because she caught him with another woman in their home. She packed all their belongings and left. 
One day, she takes her sons to get a haircut, and that's where she meets this new barber named Pablo. Pablo mentions to Maria that he was looking for someone that can help him wash all the towels he uses in his barbershop. He was willing to pay, so Maria offers to take the job. She was recently divorced and needed money to take care of her kids. This is where the relationship between Maria and Pablo begins. Now, we all know how relationships always start. You're in this honeymoon stage, and everything flows well. You get these butterflies, and all you can see are the green flags until they trap you. (laughs) So sour. (laughs) And this is exactly what happened with Maria. She found a man that was loyal, helped with her kids, and even motivated her to start her business, the selling of tamales. This is the story of La Tamalera de Portales. Many know her by the woman who cooked her husband's body parts and made tamales with his meat to sell. (gasps) Wait! (laughs) Movie series like Mujeres Asesinas were inspired by her case and made an episode of La Tamalera de Portales. I remember this episode and the scene, I don't know if it's right, but it's the scene where she puts his body parts in a meat grinder and she's she's turning, right? It ends with her looking in the camera and just grinding the meat. Okay, so this is what I remember. So I remember the meat grinder and that there's body parts being boiled and then it cuts off to her selling tamales in the street. So I don't know... If I was right or wrong, and I was mm-hmm. gonna YouTube Mujeres Asesinas, se me fue la onda. But I don't know why I remember this so well. So I don't know if it stuck to me because my mom sold tamales for many, <laughs> many years, and I was like, Ma, oh my God, cocinó su esposo y los hizo tamales. <laughs> but yeah, I could be wrong. So that is probably how it ended, but I feel like I remember the ending of the grinding and then her selling food. Or maybe it was, maybe there was something in there where they showed her grinding the meat like earlier within the episode and then selling tamales. And then it ends with her grinding the meat to give you the idea that that's what she was going to use the meat for. I think that's what happened. I think they had already shown Mm -hmm. that she was making tamales. Yeah. Um, And then it just ended with her. Because if you remember, Mujeres Asesinas would always end with the... A cliffhanger. Yeah. Yes. Or with them staring into the camera, I think. I know. And it was like... Oh, that show was so good. I don't know why they took it off. I think that's where my true crime passion came from. Back to the detective standing at her front door. So detectives remember that when they tell Maria about her husband's body being discovered, she showed no emotions. She stood there expressionless with no tears in her eyes. Later, the detective said that because of that, they asked Maria to go with them for questioning. So you already, you're not showing any emotion you know, they're going to be like, why are you not yeah. crying? But I don't, I don't know. I feel like I wouldn't cry out of shock. But that's just me. I haven't been in that situation. But I know I'm not a crier right away. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm more like a, wait, what? He played it off like he just wanted to talk a little bit more about Pablo and figure out who would do this to him. Deep down, he had a feeling that she knew who murdered her husband. During questioning, Maria confesses to the murder of her husband. She said that the night of July 17, 1971... They were doing their daily routine of making tamales for the next day. Her three younger kids are playing around and jumping over some clean laundry when she said Pablo suddenly hit the kids. So here's how the questioning went. Why did he hit them? Because they were jumping over clean clothes. They were left with the marks on their body, she said. Why did you think about killing him? It was in the moment. I resented him, she replied. Who advised you to put him in the sack? I thought about it. I wanted to disappear his body. Where did you hide the objects with 
which you killed and mutilated him. I hid the bat under my son's bed. The rest, I just washed them. Do you feel bad about what happened? Yes, I regret it. Did your children know about the crime? None of them. Not even my daughter, Maria Elena. Okay, this daughter, I couldn't find anything about her. And it said that she only had five kids. So I don't know if the daughter, um, her 15-year-old's name was Maria Elena, but they had her name under something else. So she continued to say that he hit them so hard, the kids went to bed crying and didn't even eat their dinner. Pablo went out to buy some bread. And when he came back, he told Maria that if she didn't want him to hit her kids, she should leave with them. Maria just sat there and continued to work on the tamales. She said that she couldn't get the image of him hitting her kids, the kids crying, and seeing the marks left on their body out of her head. This brought so much rage to her. She got up, grabbed a bat, and walked into the room where Pablo was watching TV. She swings one time straight to the head. He starts complaining. She swings a second time, and she noticed the blood. She swings a third time. She can hear him choking on his blood. She swings a fourth time and he's no longer moving. Maria said that she then put his body under the bed, cleaned everything, put the bat under her son's bed, and went back to making the tamales. When she got back from selling tamales that Sunday morning, she starts dismembering his body. She used an axe to start chopping off one leg. Then she does the same to the next leg. She moves on to his arms. She finishes off with the dismemberment of his head. Maria puts his body in this empty sack she had just laying around and noticed that his head wasn't going to fit. So she puts the head in a cooking pot she used for tamales. Maria said that she used cold water and put Pablo's head inside to help with the decomposition and prevent any smell until she figured out where she would get rid of it or how. She placed the pot under the bed. In the meantime, she used a wooden cart to put this bag that's carrying her husband's dismembered body and goes around town, takes it to this neighborhood of Justo Sierra where his body is discovered. I don't think she was like fully aware that they could identify him with fingerprints because mm -hmm. in her mind she was like, oh, I can keep the head. They're not going to identify him. Without the face. Yeah. The head. Maria said that Pablo was a very abusive man. She said she was tired of him beating her kids. He was physically, mental, and even financially abusive, not only to her, but also to her kids. She tells detectives that he forced her to work and he no longer wanted to work. He would make up excuses every day like his head hurting and would stay asleep in bed all day while she was selling tamales. She would only make 120 pesos from the sale of 200 tamales daily, and when she'd get home, he would take her money and only leave her with 15 pesos to take care of her kids and herself, which that's not enough. He would then leave the house, go watch wrestling matches, so lucha libre, and Maria also suspected of infidelity, but detectives believe that she had some help. They couldn't understand how she would be able to dismember his body all by herself and then transport the bag to a different neighborhood because apparently it would be very heavy for her to carry. Now, I couldn't find like the height and weight, but I did read an article which I was trying to find through my history. I don't know what the heck I did. I couldn't find it. But I do remember reading that he was tall and I believe like it said 6'3 or something like that. He loved wrestling and used to wrestle when he was younger and was also described to be a bit muscular. And when you see a picture of her, she seems like a small, fragile woman. Even though she's 43, you can tell that she was mm -hmm. or 45, but she seems pretty small. 
Now, in the picture that I saw, she was sitting down, but I guess to detectives, she didn't seem strong enough to dismember the body and carry this sack around. Now, I will say my mom is pretty strong, or she mm -hmm. was like a few years ago. She was pretty strong. She used to carry those like ollas de tamales yeah. and she moved stuff around. So, I mean, yeah, don't I underestimate her. I was going to say that because they're, from what I saw, like with your mom and with any like really hardworking woman, like yeah. they're strong. They're strong. And they're used to like, you know, cutting like animals, like pigs, like cows whatever yeah um, like don't underestimate women yeah. in mexico i mean anywhere honestly that yeah. like, even here but that's used no, but to that hard work yeah <laughs> okay so besides that they stuck to what the medical examiner found in the autopsy they noticed two different types of cutting on his skin and bones one of them was described to be like teeth markings so they believe it was a saw that was used The other had cutting motion, so they think it was a knife made specifically for meat cutting. And the third was the axe. They believe the cutting of the body was done all at the same time based on the way the blood dried. Maria insisted that she did it all by herself, but detectives didn't believe her and arrested her eldest son, Pedro, and her son-in-law, who was married to her daughter. Medical examiners also explained that if he was dead and she dismembered his body the following day, his blood wouldn't have spread. So they believed when he stopped moving after she hit him that last time, he was actually still alive. They also said that he would have bled out after the first leg was cut off. But based on the way the blood spread from each cutting, they believe more people were involved. The examiner said the arms and legs had the same blood spread which doesn't happen after the heart is no longer pumping. Wait, so he was alive when he was, she dismembered him? Or uh, when she started dismembering him? Yeah, according to the medical examiner and when they did the autopsy, he was still alive. Dang. But she claims that he wasn't and that she didn't cut his body mm -hmm. up until the next day. And he's like, well, based on science, <laughs> yeah. the way the blood spread, mm -hmm. if, if you would have cut it the next day, The blood would have settled. So when you cut, it would look like a tubing or I'm going to compare it to like chicken. You see mm -hmm. how the blood dries and it's a string. Yeah. Like that. Mm -hmm. So the blood would have settled like that and you'd cut it and it wouldn't spread. But when they found the body, they noticed that the blood spread. It didn't just stay in one position when it was yeah. cut. Maybe she thought he was dead. Like maybe he was unconscious. And then another reason why they believe she got help was because her eldest son used to work in a meat market mm. and used to cut pigs, cows. The way that knife cutting was, was mm -hmm. made by a butcher. But also she's been doing tamales for I don't know how many years. So she's over here. She's cutting her own meat. Yeah, she so would know how. She would know how. And then they also asked her, did anybody hear your neighbors, your kids? And she's like, no, everybody was asleep. This is like a, it's a daily thing for me. I'm always working overnight. So anyone around thought it was just her making her tamales. Mm -hmm. Nobody thought there was something wrong or something odd going on because if she was chopping his body that's something she does every night because she's chopping the meat and she's loud her kids are probably already used to the noises they're not gonna wake up in the end they couldn't prove if her son or son-in-law were involved so they didn't sentence them and then she took all the blame and on july 30th 1971 she was sentenced to 20 years in prison The lawyer said that using mental abuse would have been hard to prove or win the case. 
They said she was always on time for mass and did her job in a timely manner. She wasn't problematic and later was able to ask for forgiveness, which was granted. When she got out of prison, they said she went straight to the Basilica de Guadalupe and went to live with some family members. And she did maintain a relationship with her kids. So they would go visit her often when she was in jail and even after. I read, again, I couldn't find that article that I read, but they say that she died, like she died natural causes with her family and kids around. So I feel like there was some truth behind what he did. I don't think women act out of, I want to kill today. Like I don't. No. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that they still maintain a relationship with her. They know what like they, they went, went through. Yeah they, yeah, they went through it and they... I mean, it's hard because there's no excuse. You don't murder, just leave. But I guess she felt this rage. Right. He hit my kids and mm-hmm. they're hurt, they're bruised. And she's probably like, I'm freaking fed up. I'm over here making mm-hmm. tamales to make money for yeah. you to take everything. And then you still hit my kids and you mistreat mm-hmm. them and... You're abusive and you don't want to work anymore. I mean, I'm saying that you're going to, you know, you should murder, but you should leave. But she did what she did. And so did she really cook her husband's body parts and tamales? This is where the rumors started. A magazine published an article titled, I'm going to read it in Spanish and then try to translate it in English. La tamalera asesina hirvió la cabeza en el bote de tamales. Lo que hacen los criminales con sus errendos afanes. Desde ayer, en restaurantes, nadie prueba los tamales. So it's pretty much saying la tamalera, like, murdered her husband and boiled his head and nobody eats tamales ever since this happened. And it was all because they found his head in the pot for tamales. Actually, the police department had to come out and say that that was a lie. They found all his body parts. And there's a picture of his head. We are going to post it on Instagram. I'm going to put a little, like... Beware, warning, um, everything was there. There were no... No signs that meat was no, cut off. No. So it was just a rumor that was started by this magazine because she did put his head in water. Yeah. So that's where the rumor started and she she did not cook her husband. So that is a rumor. There are pictures of the body and you can see the body parts. So. And if there's pictures of his head and like the body parts then... Yeah. So whoever ate tamales that next day oh yeah because she killed him so what the medical examiner said she killed him on saturday based on the autopsy the next day on sunday she went out to sell tamales so everybody's like oh shit she cooked him and then his head you know Mm -hmm. was found in the pot so they're like she cooked him this article comes out everybody's like having a frenzy going Mm -hmm. all crazy like i'm not eating tamales they're putting human meat in tamales tamales. (laughs) for real but yeah that's la tamalera de portales wow this is making me want to go back and watch mujeres asesinas like i want to youtube it and because there's a lot of episodes that kind of stuck to me a lot of them are inspired by true cases well so can we go bless my house now let's do it we have florida water let's cleanse it a little are you really scared of la llorona are you like you've been scared yeah what yeah like i'm really scared why well to be by myself i heard a big like like on over there like by the kitchen right now before you came in oh but i was already like really scared and then i heard something and so i was just here like (laughs) and then you came in like three minutes later Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So I saved your life. <laughs> but still, you know, a little prayer wouldn't be bad. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in and we'll be back next week.
We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. We are on YouTube currently as an audio format only. We also have TikTok and Instagram. So make sure to follow us on social media. TikTok is something ominous. Instagram, we're under something ominous podcast. And YouTube, we're under something ominous. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.